Today's sermon text is John 17, verses 1 through 11. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you've given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. This is God's word. Amen. Thank you, David. Good morning, church. Yeah, I'm excited to be before you today. I'm excited to walk through this passage. It's been very um, formidable for me the past few months. Um, so let's pray. And Father, I just ask that you will glorify your name. Amen. Amen. So I have five points in the outline I would like to walk through today. And the first point in this outline is a head toward heaven. A head toward heaven. So I have five points to walk through this morning, and the first point in the outline is a head toward heaven. Next is a glory received, a name known, and um, an outrageous inheritance and a safe journey. Um, so as we start, I would like to, um, to put this before you. I believe as disciples of Jesus, we must learn how to cultivate an awareness of God that becomes the way we perceive the world. I believe as disciples of Jesus, disciples in the kingdom of heaven, we must learn how to cultivate an awareness of God that becomes perception. Where his presence becomes the way you perceive your day-to-day -day life. Enveloped in God. And so... I just want to pull out some insights from the, the text that Chris preached from last week, uh, just some things that i like to expound upon and do some commentary on. And the first is Jesus lifted up his head toward heaven and he prayed. And to me, when I see Jesus doing that, it tells me that this is what life looks like in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus lived in an awareness of an interactive relationship with his father. Jesus lived in an awareness 
of an interactive relationship with his father, a relationship experienced in a physical and tangible world. An interactive relationship with God is working with him and he's working with God, his father. Psalm 73 verse 28 says, it is good for me to be near to God. It is good for me to be near to God. And I say to you that the nearness of God is your good. It is good for me to be near to God, and I say to you that the nearness of God is your good. Just as an artist sees the canvas as the context for a painting, even so, Jesus saw his day-to-day life as the context for his interactive relationship with the Father. He saw it as the context for experiencing the kingdom of God, and so should you. Your day-to-day life is a conversation with God. That's what it is. Your day-to-day life is a conversation with God. So Jesus lifts up his head toward heaven, and he prays, and he's not praying to a God who isn't there. He's praying to a God who is there. A God who fills heaven and earth. So where is the kingdom? The kingdom is where God is ruling. And so the question we must answer is, where is God ruling? Is he ruling in my life as a person who has embraced Jesus as king? And if he is, that means that your life is the context for an experience with God. Are you following me? So Jesus said that the kingdom does not come with observation. No one would say, look here or look, there it is. He says the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's here, right here. But you can't see it. You can't experience it unless you're born into it. And once you're born into it, there is potential for you to experience the world from God's viewpoint. Once you're born into the kingdom, you can become conscious of an interactive relationship with God where his presence becomes the stage upon which your life is lived. Once you're born into the kingdom, you can become conscious, aware of an interactive relationship with God in which his presence becomes the stage upon which your life is lived. This is what it means to be born into the kingdom. Jesus says that unless a person is born again, they cannot even see the kingdom of heaven. But once you're born into it, it becomes the place where you live. And that is your reality as those who have chosen to follow Christ. You were born into the kingdom of heaven. That's what it means to be born again. Remember the scriptures. In him we live and move and have our being. The presence of God is the stage upon which our lives are lived. In him we live and move and have our existence. Jesus knew when he lifted up his head and prayed, he knew that when he spoke, 
God heard him. He knew that. Because that's how kingdoms work. With words. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 tells us that the word of a king is supreme. Who can say to him, what have you done? Ecclesiastes 8 verse 4. Because kingdoms operate by words. Kingdoms in general operate by words. And so Jesus' conversation with his father out loud into the open air was a participation in the government of God as a king. Jesus knew that he was acting in concert with the father and the father acting in concert with him. Jesus knew that. Psalm 16, verse 8. David says, The Lord is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. The Lord is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. What does that mean? Right hand is a place of power, authority. It symbolizes action. He's saying that I act with God and God acts with me. I will not be shaken. So Jesus knew that he was acting in concert with God, that God was acting with him. He was acting with God. This was an interactive relationship that everybody else was able to look in on. That's life in the kingdom. And so what I submit to you today is that you too, like Jesus, you must adopt this view as well. That your life is a conversation with God in the kingdom of heaven, which is where you live as a disciple of Jesus. Your life is an interactive relationship with the Father. So, saints, lift up your heads and talk with your daddy. The universe is the context for the kingdom. It is the house of God. The universe, this All the space is the house of God. Remember the words of our Lord. He says that in my Father's house, there are many rooms. The universe is the Father's house. Jesus lifted up his head to the sky, facing the Father in his house, and prayed. The Father hears you speaking to him in his house the way you would hear someone speaking to you in yours. The Father hears you speaking to him in his house the way you would hear someone speaking to you in yours. Once you're born into the kingdom, this is your venue for experiencing God everywhere. This interactive relationship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus, is called eternal life. Eternal life is knowing God. Jesus says in John 17, verse 3, this is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. To know Jesus is to know the one true God because he was the embodiment of the one true God. And to see him was to see the one who is invisible. 
And to know him is to know the one who is invisible. And once we know him, that relationship is what eternal life is, that you become God's friend. You know him. He knows you. Friendship with God. Jesus says, if you really know me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and you've seen him. Knowing him is having it. Knowing Jesus is having eternal life. Eternal life is about doing life in the kingdom of the Father with him, which is where you live now as a disciple of Jesus. Eternal life is about doing life with the Father in the kingdom of heaven, which is where you live as a disciple of Jesus. You live as a disciple of Christ in the kingdom of heaven. So that's why it's so important that we must renew our minds so that this becomes the way we perceive the world. This becomes the, the filter for the, for the way we process the situations in which our lives are involved. A guy named R.A. Torrey um, was a renowned evangelist, and he decided at some point in his career that he would um, not take a salary any longer. And people began to question him about that and talk with him about that. And he says, he says it like this. This is how he explains it. He said, imagine you go to a window, and at this window, you make a request. And then you leave. And at a later time, you go back and you check at the window, and you see what you requested there. He said, you would presume that there's somebody on the other side. Life is an interactive relationship, a friendship with God. Psalm 25, verse 14. It says, the friendship of God is with those who fear him, who respect him, who honor him. The friendship of God is with with those who fear him. He reveals to them his covenant. I like how the New International Version uh, begins with this. That's the ESV, what I just said, quoted. But the New International Version starts with, the Lord confides in those who fear him. What? Is this shocking to you? The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes known to them his covenant. And when you hear that phrase, he makes known to them his covenant, hear this. He shows them the depths of his commitment toward them. When it says he reveals to them his covenant, he shows them the depths of his commitment toward them. The Lord confides in me. That's what friendship is about, right? Katie and Ashley, you guys are friends. Don't you confide in one another? 
The Lord confides in those who, who fear him. He makes known to them his, his commitment toward them. He shows them how deep it is. You are the friends of God today. And we see that displayed in this, this passage here. Jesus lifting up his head and conversing with his daddy. This friendship happening. And that belongs to you. That same relationship is yours. So take notes from Jesus and realize the relationship you have with God. Lift up your head and pray to him. And remember the words of Jesus. He says, you know, I don't have to go to the Father and ask for you. The Father himself loves you. Remember that. The Father himself loves you. Our lives are lived in the presence of God as the friends of God in the kingdom of God. Point two, a glory received. And we're still in verse one. Notice this. Uh, look, look, look how Jesus prays here. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Jesus knew that his hour had come. And he knew that all, he knew all that would happen to him. We see that in John chapter 18, verse 4. He knew everything that would happen to him. For him, for Jesus, the Father was in control even when man was doing his, wor his, his worst. For Jesus, the Father was in control even when man was doing his worst. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. Remember in John chapter 18 when um, the, the, the soldiers came to the garden and Peter took out his sword and cut the guy's ear off? I want to laugh right now at that, but it's not funny. He took his sword and he cuts the, the guy's ear off. And Jesus says, stay your sword. Shall I not drink the cup my father has given me? Jesus knew who was, it, who was in control. He knew that when man was doing his worst, God was somewhat, some kind of way working out his best. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? He knew who was in control. There is a way to live in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heavens, the heavens, in which you are able to see that this is truly our Father's world. Strangely. Strangely. Hear this. The events of our experience in weakness or in strength, in life or in death, can be captured in the phrase, Father, the hour has come. The, the events of our experience in weakness or in strength, in life or in death, can be captured in the phrase, Father, the hour has come. Jesus didn't say that only for himself. He said it for us as well. Father, the hour 
has come. The scripture says that man may plan his way, but God will determine the path he'll take. The experience of the cross, the shame that it brought, was carried into the life of Jesus by the Father. The hour had come because the Father had timed it, as he does and will with you. But you can be assured that as he cultivates your life through the hour, the time of trial and testing, he will carry you through. So as maturing disciples, maturing disciples in the kingdom of heaven, our ultimate aim in these moments, as demonstrated in this prayer, is the glory of God. As maturing disciples, our ultimate aim in these moments, as demonstrated in this prayer, our ultimate aim is the glory of God. In the kingdom of heaven, which is where, you, where we live, the driving force, the intent behind all activities and responsibilities is the glory of God. In the kingdom of heaven, the driving force, the intent behind all activities and responsibilities is the glory of God. Jesus says to us through Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, that whether I'm eating or drinking or whatever I'm doing, do it all to the glory of God. So Jesus says that the hour has come, glorify your son. Why? That your son may glorify you. So we see in that last clause, that last phrase there, that your son may glorify you, his intent, the driving force behind him going to the cross, the hour, was to glorify God. Which is the driving force behind all activities and responsibilities in the kingdom in regards to your life. But notice how Jesus phrases this. Jesus' first request is, Father, glorify your son. So two questions popped into my mind as I'm thinking through this text and meditating and being with our Father in this passage. Two questions pop, pop into mind. Father, glorify your son. First question is, how did Jesus become glorified? My second question is, can we pray a prayer like this? How is Jesus glorified, and can we pray a prayer like this? So let's deal with the first question. How is Jesus glorified? And the Scriptures tells us that if the Son of Man would be lifted up, he would draw all people to himself. That's a moment of glorification. Also, Jesus was crucified he was risen again from the grave with a body clothed in power, immortal. He was glorified in that. Lastly, Jesus ascended to a place of power, a place of authority seated with his Father in the heavens. Jesus was glorified in that. So now let's deal with question two which is, can we pray a prayer like this, glorify your son, that your son may glorify you? How do you feel letting a phrase like that come out of your lips? How does it feel? Huh? Weird. 
You want to cringe kind of like, do that. Well, let me throw some things at you. I'm proposing yes. Here's why. Because glory is what we're seeking. Where do I get that from? Hear this, John chapter 5, verse 4. Jesus confronted the religious leaders for seeking glory that came from men instead of seeking the glory that came from God. He confronted the religious leaders for seeking the glory, praise that came from men instead of seeking the glory that came from God. It's amazing. And today, Jesus is confronting some of you for seeking glory that comes from men. Instead of that which comes from him. Romans 2, 7. Hear this. The Spirit writes to us through Paul, and he says, Those who by persistence in doing good seek glory and honor and immortality, God will give eternal life. Those who by persistence in doing good seek glory. Is glory what you're seeking when you persist in doing what is good? Are you seeking honor, immortality? At the end of chapter 2 in Romans, Paul tells us that all of this happens through the power of the Spirit. But that is what you're seeking. You don't know it, but it, it is. Jesus says, the one who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge them before my Father. All of you want praise. All of you want to be acknowledged for what you have done that is good. You complete a project at work with a teammate, and they get up and present do the presentation, and they don't say the part that you played in it, you're going you, to be a little angry. <laughs> because you want praise. You want acknowledgement because you have persisted in doing good. But there is a greater praise coming when all of heaven will hear your name because the Son of Man will exalt you before the angels. We seek the glory of being raised from the dead because this is the hope in which we were saved. The scriptures go on and say, we know that the present trials cannot be compared with the glory to be revealed. Romans 8, 18. We also know the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. That's glory. Radiant splendor, also praise and honor. That's glory. That's Matthew 13, 43. 
Speaking of the future, Scripture says, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. That's glory. The way God vindicated Christ by raising him from the dead is the same way he will vindicate you. We have followed him. Christ in us is our hope, our expectation for being glorified. That's why the scriptures say that Christ in us is the hope of glory. He's the expectation of glory. He's the expectation of the praise and the power that will one day be given to those who have sided with him. Jesus goes on to say, Revelation 3.21, this is amazing. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, even as I was victorious and sat down with the Father on his throne. Question, how many thrones are there in this verse? Glory. Lastly, Jesus prayed, John 17, 22, I have given them the glory you have given me. You didn't hear that. You didn't hear it. You didn't hear it. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one. And this one, as he's talking about it, is the one is in him and with his father, not just with one another. That would be a big limitation. It's amazing. So, yes. We can pray a prayer like this one. It's your destiny in Christ. Point three, a name known. We may land this plane, we may not, but either way, we go get out of here. <laughs> a name known. Verse six, John chapter 17 says, I have revealed you to those you gave me out of the world. So I just want to focus on that. I have revealed you to those you gave me out of the world. And what I'm presenting through this, this statement Jesus makes in his prayer. Uh, side note, John 17 is Jesus' conversation with his dad based on the conversation he had with his disciples in chapter 14 and 15 and 16. So if you want to interpret 17, just go to those chapters before. Hear his conversation with his disciples and then look at his conversation with his daddy. So one of the primary purposes that Jesus came into the world was to reveal the father, to make, the dad, to make his daddy known. That's one of the primary purposes he came into the world outside of dying for the sins of the world. And how did Jesus accomplish making his father known and I present to you, I submit to you that he accomplished it by becoming known. He accomplished making his father known by becoming known 
in giving them the words he received from his father. Because he was the embodiment of the father. He says, the one who sees me sees not just me, but the one who sent me. So he accomplished revealing the father by becoming known. He was in the father and the father was in him. Remember his response to Thomas? I love how Denise taught on Thomas the other week. Killer. That um, probably went sour right in the podcast, but anyway. Um, in Jesus' response to Thomas, he says, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So remember, we're talking about Jesus making the Father known, primary purpose for coming into the world, one of them, and he did it by becoming known. And he tells Thomas that if you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you've seen him. Um, the word know means, in, in this verse, the word know, you do know him, you've seen him. The word know means to learn. It means to realize through a personal experience a first-hand encounter. So Jesus revealed the Father whom he embodied by allowing, by allowing others to have a personal experience with him. He revealed the Father whom he embodied by allowing others to have a personal experience with himself by becoming known. He said, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. In, in John chapter 14, verse 10, he says, Don't you believe that I am in my Father and my Father is in me? That was Jesus' way of explaining, I am the visible expression of the invisible God. And when you know me, you know the Father. Through me, the Father can become known. So to see Jesus is to see the Father. And to see you is to see Jesus. To see Jesus is to see the Father. And to see you is to see Jesus. That's what it means to be the body of Christ. That's what it means to be the body of Christ. To see you is to see Jesus. That's what it means to be the body of Christ. Now, in John chapter 14, verse 20, he says, On that day, the day of him being glorified, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me, and I am in you. Got a couple cups here. On that day, you will realize this is the Father. This is Jesus. This is us. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father. You are in me. And I am in you.
to see you is to see him. Jesus says that if they receive you, they will receive him. And if they receive him, they will receive the one who sent him. If they obey my teaching, they will obey yours. That's the authority of Christ for the church. It's amazing. So John 14, verse 20 In that day you will realize that I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. This is how Jesus explains us being an expression, the expression of him to the world. That's how he explains it. So I submit to you today that one of the primary purposes for which you have been sent into the world is to reveal Jesus. Just as one of the primary purposes for which Christ came into the world was to reveal the Father. You are here to reveal Jesus. That's why you're here. And how he fleshes that out through your personality, gifts, and talents will be a wonderful expression of the vista of his wisdom. And how do you do it? By becoming known and giving to others the words you received from Jesus, just as Jesus gave to us the words he received from the Father. All right. See, what, what, can, what can we do in 10 minutes? All right. Point four, an outrageous inheritance. This will be brief. An outrageous inheritance. Um, so Jesus says, all I have is yours. Chapter 17, verse 10, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. What what does the Father have? Everything. Everything. Sorry, that was loud. (laughs) Uh, what, What does Jesus have? Everything. What about you? You you believe that? (laughs) Right? It's hard. We probably need to do another um, sermon about doubt. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Romans chapter 8, verse 17. It's a wonderful verse. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. And it says, now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, based on this passage, what do you have? An heir of God. And co- we don't even know what everything is. <laughs> but one day you will know even as you are known by him. An outrageous inheritance. 
Lastly, a safe journey. Jesus says in John 17, verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one even as we are one. What does it mean for Jesus to ask the Father to protect those disciples and even us? What does it mean in this passage here, in this passage? How could Jesus pray that when in John 16, verse 2, he says, A time is coming. When those who kill you will think that they are doing a service to God. So how could he pray, Father, protect them by the name you've given me. And then in chapter 16, verse 2, he says, and, and a time is coming, an hour is coming, when those who kill you will think that they are doing a service to, to God. Implication is, you're going to die. In addition to that, according to tradition, all the apostles were martyred except for John, except for John. So what I'm understanding is the protection Jesus is praying for is a preservation of their faith, a preservation of their faithfulness to him. Protect them from the evil one, he says later on. In John chapter 16, verse 1, Jesus says this. All, he's speaking about all the words he's spoken from chapter 13 up until this present moment. He says, all this I have told you so that you would not fall away. So that your faith would be preserved. Remember the words that he said to Peter? He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you, to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith will not fail. That's Luke twenty-two thirty-one. I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Hear the prayer of Jesus, Father, protect them. In this sense, your journey will be safe. So trust that you will endure all the trials of this life, not because of your grip on him, but because of his grip on you. Your faith will not fail. Amen.